For CISOs, CTOs, and cloud security architects across organizations of all sizes who are dealing with too many security products that are difficult for their IT and security teams to maintain and who need to simplify multi-cloud security for holistic visibility and end-to-end security to protect their cloud assets, Panoptica is the solution. Panoptica is the cloud native application protection platform, CNAP, solution. From development to runtime to seamlessly deliver end-to-end security for multi-cloud application environments to minimize risks with comprehensive visibility and prioritization. Unlike many siloed security solutions, Panoptica's CNAP solution provides a single context platform that consolidates risks from different risk engines. Only Panoptica equips developer and security teams with the ability to make informed decisions to achieve 100% visibility and remediation guidance with a new level of precision. Now teams can confidently scale across multi-cloud environments and reduce risks across their entire cloud application stack. Learn more about Panoptica today at panoptica.app. Welcome to Unsupervised Learning, a security, AI, and meaning-focused podcast that looks at how best to thrive as humans in a post-AI world. It combines original ideas, analysis, and mental models to bring not just the news, but why it matters and how to respond. All right, welcome to episode 408. This is Daniel Meisler. So I binged seasons one, two, and three of Sam Alton this week. Highly recommend that show. Really interesting. Microsoft is uh, streaming season four, evidently. We'll see how that turns out. And I've got my latest analysis of the situation, which you probably want to go check out to get a full blog post on that. Essentially, Ilya left and started a new company with people who want to approach AGI very slowly and carefully, which is exciting exactly nobody. And I just got done doing some uh, crazy stuff with uh, Whisper, which is an Ilya AI project, by the way. (laughs) And um, basically using our own uh, role-playing sessions. Uh, We we have a group of friends that get together every Friday and we get together. It's a in-person thing. We hang out. Uh, Chad, our GM, he cooks food and it's just like the most friendly thing. Like it's absolutely food for the soul because, you know, it's friends you've known for a long time. You got a lot of trust there. It's just like, kind of like the old times, you know, before, uh, well, I don't know what before, before the internet, maybe, uh, before mobile phones, whatever, but we're all just there together. We play a game together. It probably lasts, you know, three to four hours, usually maybe two to four and a half hours. Depends. But it's just a lot of fun. It's absolutely fun. So what I'm doing is I'm combining what I'm doing with AI, and I'm now recording all the sessions. And I created something like XWiz, but it's called Summarize Session. Actually, I released it as a GPT. And that thing extracts all the cool stuff that happens. So first of all, it extracts like a summary of what what happened in the session. And it's done in like a dramatic tone. So, uh, it basically makes it sound really cool what we did. Oh, the heroes did this on blah, blah, blah. Right. So that's cool. But it also extracts out what were the key events that happened inside the story? Uh, what was like the key combat? What was like the character events? I even got like, how were character flaws exposed? Cause the book from Will store that I'm reading or that I'm rereading is called, um, science of storytelling or, or that might not be right, but it was something like that. Something about storytelling. So I'm trying to use those, you know, things that I've learned from that book and extract those things from the story. 
right? So uh, it's a series of bullet points that really captures the cool stuff that happened. And then lately I've been adding another section, which is like, what are the funny things that happened? Also outtakes, because what's really cool is we're slipping in and out of character during the four hours, right? Because sometimes we talk about work. Sometimes we talk about random stuff. Sometimes we're just joking about stuff. And of course the AI, amazingly, it knows the difference between the two. So the, the summarized session part doesn't have anything in there that's not in game. It knows somehow, obviously I think we know how, but it knows how, um, it knows when we are switching in and out of character. So I have another section called uh, outtakes, which is like funny things that happened because oftentimes the stuff we say that's not in character is about the game. So for example, one thing was uh, someone mentioned that, hey, I, I've never been in an encounter where we fought Will of Wisps, which is what we just fought and where we survived. My party has always died when we fought those things. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, that's helpful. Um, or that's enjoyable. Thanks for mentioning that or whatever. It was just random banter, right? And, uh, so it extracted that even though it wasn't in game, it was actually players saying that instead of characters. So that was really cool. Um, and then there was a bunch of funny events and I actually captured those. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Uh, quite surprised. So I'm always surprised, uh, how good this stuff is, but that was a lot of fun. In fact, I've got a little piece here that we can listen to. Um, this was one other instruction that I gave to it, which is called previously on crown and mayhem, um, or previously on. It was uh, one of the players, Sean, his recommendation was, what about our previously on? Uh, because the GM, Chad, gives inspiration for, which means you have advantage, uh, one time where you could use advantage in the next session, if you do something to contribute to the campaign, right? And so um, the way that a lot of characters have been getting it is if you give a recap. If you give a recap of the last session, then you get inspiration. Well, so this thing previously on, it's now a recap of the session. Here's what it sounds like. Previously on Crown and at Mayhem, our heroes braved the treacherous bog, battling spectral lights that shocked and danced through the night. As dawn approaches, they must now delve deeper into the mist-shrouded marshlands, where ancient ruins whisper secrets of a bygone era and a colossal beast slumbers in wait. With each step, they draw closer to uncovering truths long buried beneath peat and water, a journey that will test their mettle against nature's darkest corners. So that was the thing actually reading that, right? Um, oh, and by the way, that was 11 lab. I trained my voice on 11 lab. And by the way, I've done a, a longer, much longer training. That one was done on two megabytes of data, literally like three minutes of a previous uh, podcast episode. And it got it that close. And now it's even better. So really, really cool stuff. Um, so, so now I could do these previously on things to kind of hype up for the next session, but also remind everyone what happened last time. So, um, yeah, very cool. Uh, next section here, my work. So Sam Altman wants AGI as fast as possible and he has powerful opponents. So this is my argument of basically describing what seems to have happened, uh, around the whole opening eye fallout and him being fired and all of that. So I would definitely recommend checking that out. SEC versus SolarWinds is cybersecurity's Enron moment. This is talking about how the fact that the SEC is going after Enron, I'll just give a brief recap of it. It's basically like our uh, going after Enron, going after uh, 
solar winds is kind of like Enron, where the government decided, hey, you know, enough is enough. And essentially the thing that we call out here, along with uh, my buddy, Sasha Zjelar, who is uh, one of the people I've had the most conversations about this with, and I, I've got multiple quotes in there from him. But essentially what we were saying is that in the past, it's been okay for a new CISO to come in, take an inventory of what's going on, but, but they're kind of, they're kind of required to go with the flow a little bit for a period of weeks or months or maybe even years. It depends on the CISO and, and the situation. But if they're getting reports saying everything is fine and they've seen all the reports that have been sent to auditors before and regulators before and everything, and, and they basically say, everything's fine, you know, things are good. And then they start looking at internal reporting, internal vuln assessments, internal pen tests, uh, external reports from pen tests, bug bounty reports, and it's a total nightmare, right? And if you add on top of that, the conversations that are happening in, inside, and this is something that the SEC has in the case of solar winds, it's like, you've got people saying things like, it's an absolute nightmare or it's a total mess. I'm not sure the actual words that were used, but it was very clear that at some point the CISO knew at some point prior to them claiming or passing on claims that everything was fine. It seems to be the case that they did in fact know it was a soup sandwich. It was a football bat. It was not good. And yet they continued to report that everything was fine. You know, two thumbs up, all systems go. And it's that disconnect that the SEC is basically going after. And that is kind of similar to Enron. It's like, you can't just not say anything. You can't say everything is fine. You must have this oversight. And not only that, but the most important part of the regulation is like, we're going to hold you accountable. And that's the most important thing. And that's why it's important that the SEC didn't just name SolarWinds. They also named the CISO for the reason that I just talked about, they were claiming something that it appears they did not, uh, or it appears they knew was not true. Right. So that's, that's why I think it's an Enron moment that, and that's the conversation I've been having with, uh, Sasha, who also believes that. And, uh, he's got some cool quotes in there, like essentially becoming a CISO is becoming like a cyber CFO at this point and a lot more accounting, a lot more like detecting fraud, like a CFO does. It's like, oh, there's money missing. We must report this. Same kind of vibe is about to happen to cyber. It's our argument anyway, where it's like, there's a disconnect between vulns and like claims and therefore I must blow the whistle. And I think this is fantastic for the industry overall. I think this will make us a lot safer if the head of cyber or the head of risk starts to have these CFO-like responsibilities and it's known that that's the case. And the other part of the article is basically saying, it's another step in the direction of boring, right? Because when you immature industries like security in the eighties and nineties, it's more like wizardry. It's more magic. You're casting spells. People don't understand it. It's the arcane and there's so much creativity. There's so much rock star status, right? It's sexy basically. And the opposite of that is accounting, right? You go to school, you get a four-year degree you get a CPA and what do you do? You live inside of Excel and you make sure numbers add up and you sign your name on the dotted line saying, I attest that this is the truth to the best of my knowledge. And it's like the opposite of hacking, right? If, if you could define two opposites, it would almost be like being an accountant versus being a hacker. 
And one of my previous essays was basically about the fact that as an industry matures, it goes from wizards to boring. It goes from exciting to boring. It goes from magic to spreadsheets. And I think if this happens the way that Sasha and I think it's going to happen, that's essentially what, what is uh, taking place right now. This is another major transition towards that eventual end for cybersecurity. Not end, but, but uh, destination for cybersecurity. All right, next thing to talk about, I'm making some changes to the news sections on the newsletter. So I, I'm trying to be very concise, but also rich with analysis there. So I'm actually pulling out all the common, like, oh, so-and-so got breached. Oh, so-and-so vulnerability. Like there's just hundreds or thousands of vulnerabilities every single week. And unfortunately there's dozens or hundreds of compromises and incidents and, you know, those types of stories as well, where so-and-so company gets popped and they lost this much data. And I'm actually just going to take the incidents and the vulnerability sections and put them in their own section. And only in the security section, I'm only going to have things that are kind of like interesting or surprising or different, or it's about a pattern or it's about something notable that's useful to you, hopefully to, to you or me. And my guiding light here is like, what would I like to read? Right. What would I find interesting? And by definition, I don't find it interesting when it's like, yeah, another company got hacked. It was the common technique. Like they just, they had passwords. It was password stuffing. And it's like, is that really news? Is that really something I need to know about? And I would argue, I do want to know about it, but I would like to have it in its own section. So it's like surprising things and interesting things and trends and analysis in one section, and then just like the coverage things in another one. So that's what we're working on doing. And this is the first uh, instance of that. Okay. So this next one is really cool. A ransomware group has added a new technique to like the overall arsenal for all ransomware, which is threatening to report a company to the SEC if they don't pay. So we just saw that SEC story, right? If the SEC comes for you, it's bad. So what this company did was they knew that they had compromised the company and they knew X amount of time had gone by and they knew that the company was required to say something to the SEC. So they reported them to the SEC. They're like, hi, SEC, we hacked them. It was this long ago and they didn't say anything. And I'm like, well, that's amazing. First of all, it's just crazy and, and weird. And, and, you know, that exposes them, them to something like maybe the SEC will send it to a different apartment and they'll go after the group, maybe. But more importantly, they definitely brought a lot of stuff down on that company that got compromised. And what I was thinking is this is now a new technique for extortion. So it's like, not only will I encrypt your data and you have to pay me to get it back. Um, not only that, but I'm also going to tell your customers, which will lose you all sorts of things. So that's another reason. But at the same time, you know what? I'll report you to the government because you didn't declare your incident. And I'm like, oh man, how many of these can you stack together to make it like so compelling to actually pay? TikTok is under massive scrutiny because bin Laden's letter to America went viral on the platform, despite its extremely anti-American and anti-Semitic language. So similar to the pro-Palestinian bias on TikTok, TikTok's leadership is saying they're not influencing anything and young people are just pro-Palestine. Sorry, like that's not up to us. And that could be very true, but I hate the fact that they, and when I say they with the TikTok leadership it really means the CCP, right? Because China has full control over these companies, or at least has the ability at any moment to grab full control. 
And because of that, they have the ability to influence what millions of American kids are seeing and thinking. And that is, that is super troubling to me. Like, it doesn't mean they did it in this case. It doesn't mean they're pushing the bit long thing, but at any moment they could reach over and put their finger on that scale. And that's, that's troubling to me. And the FBI is intensifying its scrutiny on Hamas related activities in the U S following the group's unexpected strike on Israel and FBI D director Christopher A. Ray highlighted the increased threat level to the U.S. after last month's attack by Hamas. AlphaLock, a new Russian hacking group, is going Silicon Valley with live performances. This is insane. A slick UI offering hacker training, monetizing through an affiliate program. They basically have two sides of a business model. First, they train hackers via online courses, and then they plan to profit from these trained hackers through an affiliate program on the dark web. And I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed by this. I mean, the economic systems that are being built around the, the infrastructures that are be, being built around these malware and ransomware and extortion groups is just insane. Like it is truly wartime innovation and it's negative. Obviously it's bad, but still quite interesting. Well, war is bad. It's still interesting. Google just dropped new Titan keys. They're, uh, they've got USB and USB-C and USB-A connections, FIDO2 compatible, can store over 250 pass keys and also include NFC. Vulnerabilities. I'm going to go fast through these for the reasons we talked about. Patch Tuesday, three exploited zero days, uh, Fortinet issue, WordPress, SAP, Business One, SSH key exposure. So found a new way to snatch SSH keys due to computational errors. Meridian link SEC complaints. Fortisem critical bug. VS code extension flaws. And incidents. So uh, this one actually could have gone in different sections, but CISA alerts of active exploitation of critical Juniper vulnerabilities. Attackers exploited a Zimbra email server. Zero day. Denmark's energy sector is getting hit really hard. Uh, Mr. Cooper had a cyber attack, but they're still dealing with that. Troop Hill, Toyota ransomware threat, MySQL under siege. Uh, MySQL servers are being hijacked by the DDoS TF botnet. And uh, Alan Overy were hit by a Lockbit ransomware group. This is a law firm. I've always been quite frightened by the prospect of law firms being targeted because the stuff you can learn there is just insane. Technology AI blew up on Friday. I think everyone knows that at this point, like in a way that nobody would have believed if a fiction writer actually talked about it. And I've got my analysis of this in this essay. Okay. But you know what? We're on a podcast. So I'll, I'll just give an overview. Essentially what it seems like this came down to. And I have had some conversations with people on the inside and, and on the outside, and I've been covering this closely, I'm not a hundred percent on this, but, but this seems to be the situation. There is a very strong EA and X risk faction inside of OpenAI, And that essentially means, uh, effective altruism and existential risk. Uh, I mean, that's what the, uh, the letters mean. And these groups are not the same, but they are converging on the idea that we must save humanity from AI. And it's, 
it borderlines into like a religious thing where they're like, we must stop Terminator from being created. We must do that, this at all costs. And what the evidence seems to look like is that something freaked out the group. Uh, first of all, the board was very oriented towards X risk because some people who are more on Sam's side of progress, faster progress towards AGI, a number of them have left recently because of conflicts of interest. So uh, the board was imbalanced in the favor of the extras people. And that is a temporary situation, which was probably going to be solved soon. So there was a small moment. Well, then you have Dev Day. Dev Day released GPTs and assistants with API access and turned it into like a leaderboard, right? With, with a store launching these things. So what seems to have happened is that Dev Day combined with the fact that this has been building up, this community has been strong inside of OpenAI for a very long time. And the tension has been actually building. Okay, Sam is not listening. Um, you know, we're worried that we're not being heard. Uh, somebody needs to do something about this. AGI is going to come. It's going to be dangerous. And they're talking about like, you know, Terminator type stuff. Not, not like the slow or the much slower thing of like humans are going to lose jobs. They're thinking more like it's going to invent chemical weapons. Uh, it's going to, you know, build robots. It's going to turn us into paper clips. It's like more like the sci-fi type stuff, which, which by the way, I don't think it's all sci-fi. I think there is some very real risk around this type of stuff, but, um, that group is growing more powerful, um, and, or, or has been becoming more powerful and more vocal and they decided to take action especially after dev day and especially because they had the ability to move against Sam for a small limited amount of time. And they took that opportunity. Now I was not in the room. Um, so I don't know how exactly the influence happened with Ilya, with the other members of the board. I don't know how that, that goes. I do know, uh, everyone knows that Ilya is very concerned about AGI alignment and is worried about the development of AGI and wanting to do that carefully. In my opinion, Sam also wants to do it carefully and he's being uh, somewhat careful and definitely talks to that a lot, but he believes that the slow incremental progress that is inevitable of how we're going to get there keeps giving us multiple small opportunities to do this. Um, and that there's so much positive benefit that comes from AGI that we just need to manage that risk. And we're also racing with China who's probably not going to be careful. So it's like, I, I think that is a more positive and a more realistic way to approach this. So I I'm kind of on Sam's side there, but it appears that what happened is this other faction, this, um, higher drama, higher concern, you know, more immediate concern group, uh, with the EA slash X-Risk people. Some people call them doomers, which by the way, I think that's dismissive because I think all the points that they are raising are valid. I just, it, it's all a matter of degree and how religious you are about it. I, I don't think they're making really crappy points in most cases. I think uh, it's dismissive to call them doomers. I mean, I, I think it's useful. It's, it's a nice handle. But as long as you don't think that uh, it means that they're just dumb, because it, it sounds like boomer and, and boomer is like, oh, you don't listen to them because they're stupid. Uh, 
So I, I would say we should be respectful of their concern. Think of it this way. If you believed it, it's kind of like religion, like any other religion. If you believe it, if you believe honestly that your friends are going to go to hell, guess what? You tell them <laughs> to change their lives. And guess what? They believed, or it seems that enough people believed that we were going to generate robots that killed everyone or whatever their concern was. And is that worth damaging OpenAI? Yes, it is. Is that worth doing whatever? I mean, whatever fallout comes from it? Well, yeah. If, if the other side of the scale is the destruction of the human race, then yes. So I wouldn't dismiss them out of hand. I would just say, okay, let's talk about the facts. Let's talk about why they believe this and have open and, you know, realistic and, and courteous conversations around this. And that's the way to move forward. So that's what that essay was about. And that's why I'm a little bit hesitant to go into them sometimes because now it's been quite a while, but maybe you like that uh, whole explanation. Elon wants to change X so that it highlights smaller accounts based on algorithmic algorithmic similarity match rather than clout. I think this is a fantastic idea and great news because the biggest problem with new writers and new creators is being discovered, right? I wrote about this a long time ago in a fake Amazon product that I created. Uh, it was called Amazon Curate, and I mocked it up to look exactly like an Amazon page or whatever, and I've got the link in the show, but it's like, he is basically, oh, and I found out recently, he's looking to release Croc on this, actually on X very soon. So what he's going to do is find the similarities between really good content that nobody knows about because the person's got like a hundred followers. And guess what? That's going to start doing better than some random crappy idea, but that came from someone with 30,000 followers. And that is fantastic progress for humanity, in my opinion. Assuming you can pull it off correctly, I'm sure it'll be, you know, a little bit crap in the beginning, but I have confidence that he'll uh, find a way to make it useful. And if he does this, it's instantly going to be way better than Twitter ever was, at least for surfacing um, really good content, really compelling content, good arguments, that type of thing. And technically what it's going to do is match things, right? So it's like, if you like good content, it's going to be able to match that. And I guess it would also be able to match garbage. Um, like this garbage looks like that garbage. We'll see how he deals with that. But I am very happy to see sort of AI and, and, you know, meaning based matches as opposed to just how many followers does the person have and that kind of garbage. So, uh, someone built an AI that takes screenshots from his camera and narrates the image in the voice of David, uh, David Attenborough. So he put on like a hat, he like changed his shirt or whatever. And it was just like explaining it, uh, in perfect Attenborough voice. It was fantastic. Um, deep minds AI just outperformed traditional weather forecasting for the first time, predicting up to 10 days ahead with higher accuracy than traditional techniques. And, uh. Yeah, it surpassed the Center for Medium Range Weather Forecasts in 90% of the 1,380 metrics. Very cool. Tesla is building old-style drive-in diners with tons of services. Uh, There's one thing I like about Sam and Elon. They're trying new things, right? Tr making things, doing things. I don't always agree with their exact choices, especially Elon. I, I can't stand when he gets on Twitter and gets political, but... I love the fact that he's actually out there making things. YouTube is going after AI generated content 
by requiring labels on videos that might mislead viewers into thinking that they're real. This is very needed. Although I, we're going to need more than that, but it's, it's a nice step. Google's paying 36% of its search engine revenue from Safari to Apple, according to recent court testimony. And I think this was like a slip up during that testimony. They weren't supposed to say that, but interesting. And Amazon has cut hundreds of jobs in the Alexa department. I'm not sure what that means, but I think it means bad things for smart speakers. And I guess it means that Benedict Evans uh, still continues to be right in our debate that we had on Twitter a while ago. Sweden is passing a massive expansion of nuclear energy to secure energy independence and combat climate change. And so, that, yeah, they're building new reactors, extending the life exi of existing ones. Uh, this is great news in my mind. Young Americans are increasingly siding with Palestinians over Israelis. New survey shows seven-point drop in overall sympathy for Israel since October, with only 54% of U.S. voters now more sympathetic to Israelis compared to 61% previously. ExxonMobil is jumping into lithium production in Arkansas, looking at the booming electric vehicle battery market. I think this is very, very smart on their part, because it's not just electric vehicles, batteries in general are about to be massively needed. So once again, they're playing 40 chess and thinking, you know, 10, uh, 20, 50 years in the future. Hate speech targeting Jews and Muslims has surged online linked to the Israel-Gaza conflict. Homeschooling is surging in the U.S. A lot of people thought it was just like a pandemic thing, but looks like homeschooling continues to be popular and continues to grow. I think it's still a pretty low percentage of overall schooling, but it's not just a pandemic thing. All right, I've got basically the coolest Vim video for you to check out. I've got the link here. It's in the show. Go check it out in the newsletter. It is like the most inspiring Vim video you've ever seen in your life. It Just a video overall. It's the best explainer I've ever seen. The, the guy actually doesn't talk in it. It's got like these chat bubbles describing everything. He's like in this Japanese location in Osaka. I think he lives in Osaka, but yeah, he, he is. He, he's from Osaka and he's in like this, this Japanese place and like the Vim configs are super cool. It's like the craziest video. You have to go see it. Discovery, private GPT, a tool for interacting with documents using GPT models privately without data leaks, even offline. Open source threat intel feeds, awesome GPTs, HackerArt GPT by my buddy Joseph Thacker. Screenshot to code, CVE Watcher, href, a tool for monitoring SEO health. This is like my favorite SEO tool. I don't use that much anymore. I think SEO is going away, by the way, because I think AIs are going to be our interface to knowledge. So I, I don't think web stats are going to matter that much anymore. Oh, especially since it's not going to be about your backlink. It's going to be about the quality of your content because of things like what Elon's doing with Grok, right? Once, once an AI could figure out how good your content is, it's actually not going to care how many backlinks there are. And that's why traditional SEO is going to be going away. And our interface for looking things up is actually going to be talking to our AI and our AI will go get the best stuff using all the AIs it has knowledge of and availability and access to, right? So you're just going to be like, hey, what's the best tool for this? And it's going to go look at a hundred different places 
come up with the answer in three seconds and be like, boom, go use this tool. Or let me use it for you and give you the answer. Um, which means you're abstracted completely from the actual source material, right? Of course, you could say, show me the source material. I want to look at it. But it really raises the question of like, what is posting to the web really going to look like when the whole point of posting is to have it crawled by an AI, which the AI then gives the information to the person. You're not actually going to get the information. So the thing that we need to watch out for is we need to make sure that people are actually going to continue making things. But I'm worried that, well, I, I guess it's just going to be strange that the reason they make it is so it'll get crawled by an AI because people aren't going to be looking at the thing itself anymore. Hallucination leaderboard tracks how often language models make stuff up when summarizing text. ASCII gen, turn your images into ASCII art. Free burp collaborator. AI decision making. Meta brings us a step closer to AI generated movies. Google's new AI music creation tool. This thing is pretty ridiculous. You actually just like hum something. You're just like, hmm, hmm, hmm. And it's like, okay, go turn that into so-and-so instrument. And it makes the instrument sound really realistic, but it matches the tone that you just gave it. And there's a couple different tools doing that, but this Google one looks really good. Levels of AGI, how to stop spam calls on your iPhone, how to keep your bank from closing all your accounts. More people should write. This is a really cool, really cool essay here. We don't do DST at this company. My favorite new developer, that's that same guy I told you about before, uh, who did the Vim videos. People think white AI-generated faces are more real than actual photos. GPT-4's abstract reasoning gap. More Americans believe crime in the U.S. is becoming extremely serious. This is a Gallup poll. Teens don't want Android. TikTok is becoming very popular as a news source for young people. Melatonin overuse in kids. Pesticides are being linked to infertility. The discovery dilemma. This is about what I was talking about. Uh, it's hard to have a small website get found the gang crisis in sweden which is insane you, if you want to check that out it's in the show all these links are in the show iphone is getting rcs which is a different type of texting infrastructure basically sony unveils its full frame global shutter offering which is the alpha 93 camera and amazon is now selling cars as well as doing medical stuff uh, by the way in case you didn't know they're basically an alternative to like a doctor's office or the forward service. And the aphorism of the week, security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Helen Keller. Unsupervised Learning is produced and edited by Daniel Meisler on a Neumann U87 AI microphone using Hindenburg. Intro and outro music is by Zombie with a Y. And to get the text and links from this episode, sign up for the newsletter version of the show at danielmeisler.com slash newsletter. We'll see you next time. Thank you.